Hi, this is Kyla McMullen, and you're listening to Chasing Dreams with Amy J. Welcome to Chasing Dreams Podcast with Amy J. Amy believes that realizing a life without regrets is achieved by taking chances, chasing your dreams, making moves, and overcoming your doubts. The Chasing Dreams Podcast will help you overcome life's obstacles, believe in your potential, and inspire you to face your fears. And now here's the woman who is passionately pursuing her dreams, Amy J. Dream Chasers, this is Amy J, and you are listening to episode 64 of Chasing Dreams. And today I have a wonderful friend, a friend of mine of, you know, I can't believe it. I want to say over 15 years, which is crazy in of, of itself. Yeah. I, yeah. So, right? <laughs> it's ridiculous. Her name is Dr. Kyla McMullen. She earned her Bachelor's of Science in Computer Science from the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, UMBC where she was also a Meyerhoff Scholar. She earned her master's and PhD degrees in computer science and engineering from the University of Michigan in 2012. And while earning her PhD, she was also a faculty member at Wayne State University in Detroit, Michigan. So at Wayne State University, she taught computer literacy courses to over 2,000 students. Dr. McMullen is the first underrepresented woman to earn a PhD in computer science and engineering from the University of Michigan. She is currently a tenure-track faculty member at the University of Florida's Computer and Information Sciences and Engineering Department. Dr. McMullen has a personal commitment to encouraging women and minorities to pursue careers in computing and other STEM fields. She is the author of Beautiful Black and Brainy and Brilliant is the New Black, which showcases hundreds of exceptional young African-Americans who excel in STEM fields and don't fit the typical scientist stereotype. And she's here today. Hey, Dr. McMullen. How are you? I'm good. How are you? You know, it took me a little bit to say Dr. McMullen, by the way, so I'm just going to switch back to Kyla. Weird. Yeah, please do. Yeah, yeah. I was proud of you for the achievement. Don't don't get me wrong. Not being disrespectful, but as a friend, I got to go back to Kyla. Please do. Please do. It's, it's actually weird for people who change up. I'm like, wait, I've always been Kyla. Why are you changing up? <laughs> it's not me that changes you. Why do you have to change the name? <laughs> Well, no, the new people, new people, yes, doctor. But uh, the old folks, I was Kyla when you met me, and I'm still Kyla. Ride or die, Kyla, guys. And we were in, we were at UMBC together. We did computer science yeah. together. And I think one of our most fondest or often recalled memories is B for B. Yes, B for B for B. <laughs> books, books for bucks, or bucks for books. Which do we yeah. do? Oh, I think we said it was it was going to be perfect. Books for books, books for books. Yeah, and it was a programming <laughs> class. We could have made millions, guys. You, you don't understand. We wanted someone else to have that uh, that opportunity. We, we're selfless like that. Man, man, we were we were before our time. Exactly, exactly. But Kyla continued after UMBC doing amazing things, as you heard from the intro. She actually was recently at OzCon, the O'Reilly Open Source Convention. She was the keynote speaker for it. And you've just been doing some amazing things this whole time. But before we jump into that, have you always wanted to do computer science? Man, that's the crazy part. I don't think I actually thought I like would do computer science until maybe the middle of college. It was always like a trial run kind of thing. 
like when I was growing up though, the writing was on the wall when I think back about it. But like, even when I was in high school and it was time to apply for college, I said, all right, which of these classes do I hate the least? Because I kind of felt like high school was a waste of time. Typical, you know, teenager thought high school was a waste. But um, I had this computer science class and I was like, oh, okay, I like this class. You know, this is the class where I would take home the little installation disc and install it at home and still try to program. And, you know, I would, uh, my mom was like, hey, you need to pick a major. I literally took my college application around to like every single class I was in and was like, nope, not this one. History, nope, not this one. English, nope. And then got to computer science. I was like, okay, I could, I could do this. I could study this more. So, um, You know, when I got to college, even I was like, all right, this is an experiment in computer science. And even in taking like that first computer science course, I got um, the oh, my gosh, I don't think I've ever had such a low grade in my life on like that first exam. So I was like, all right, this is still an experiment. But then, you know, you learn your coping strategies and you succeed. So towards the end, I was like, okay, I got this. I can do it. So I didn't always want to be a computer scientist, but like maybe around my sophomore year, I got more confidence and I was like, all right, I got this. I can do this. But the writing was definitely on the wall. Like when I was younger, every single toy that I wanted for like Christmas or that I had, had some kind of digital or screen aspect to it. So it was always something that was computerized. So looking back, I'm like, I should have known. <laughs> that was so here's the interesting part, right? Should you have known? I mean, at that young of an age, right? One of the things you were known for is being the first African American woman to graduate from the University of Michigan with a PhD in computer science. So, did you have a lot of exposure that would have allowed you to kind of realize that you think at the at a young age like you at, that you were? Not really, like the computer was like this mysterious thing to me. Uh, when I went to this private school in DC, you know, from kindergarten to eighth, and we had computers, you know, like a computer lab. And let's say for 200 kids, we had six computers. And the only people who were able to go and use those six computers were the students who were having like trouble and challenges and stuff in life. So I'm like, for real, I'm getting A's. And this kid over here who can't distinguish between a D and a B is, you know, getting to use the computer. So it was like, oh my gosh, I just want to use the computer. It was like magic to me. The fact that you could have like a mouse, something that's outside of the computer that is changing something that's inside of somewhere else. Like deep down, I just love magic. So (laughs) to me, computers were the closest thing to magic. So like, I was like, oh my gosh, but there's no way that I could have actually known because we didn't actually get a computer uh, until I was in high school. I think I was either in ninth or 10th grade. So then I finally like had one. And then I still saw it as like this mystery, you know, but I didn't have any sort of like representation to be able to say, oh, this is a field that I could pursue. Like there was nobody that I really saw until I got to, I believe it was my junior, senior of a high school. And we had a computer science teacher and I already knew who the computer science teacher was. We had different tracks and I knew what everybody looked like that took computer science. And I was like, uh, that doesn't look like me. And they got a new teacher and, you know, he was a younger black guy and he was just cool like he was really cool and he knew how to program and so he was that first person who I saw that like looked like me and I could say okay I can do this this is something I can do he can program I got it see and that's always if there's something about representation and we talked about this offline a little bit you know something powerful to, about seeing someone doing what you want to do and showing that that can be done and so from what you're saying, you know, you didn't have a lot of that. And when you went to college, um, 
as a Meyerhoff, there is representation, but not necessarily in the same field. And so what was it like being in computer science and looking for representation? Man, even that was difficult because, like, you know, even with uh, with Meyerhoff, you know, in summer bridge, everybody who we met that was an older Meyerhoff had nobody was computer science. So I'm still like, all right, am I supposed to be here? And then once the semester actually started, I know, you know, Stacy, she was the first. They were like, you got to meet Stacy. You got to meet Stacy. And actually, I had met her. I came and stayed with her for the selection weekend and everything. And once I got really got to know her and I was like, OK, she's ace in these classes. She's from the same area I'm from. We have similar preparation. OK. And so every time, literally, I'd be like, all right, this is too difficult. Now, nope, Stacy did it. <laughs> I could do it. <laughs> and it was literally just that simple. So in college, she was like that first representation that was somebody, I think she was maybe one year or two years ahead of me, but she was that first person who was like relatable. I can reach out and touch her and say, you, you black girl, you know, computing too. I can get there as well. So she was definitely, um, <laughs> I had a different mentor that was assigned to me, but I just claimed her as my own. Uh, but yeah, she was definitely a mentor to me. And, you know, she was definitely there for the tough time yeah i think she was two because she was one above me but fantastic person uh and doing amazing things like you are but you went through you decided computer science right you got your bs and then you go to michigan which is not like maryland <laughs> right it's different it, yeah it's a lot different definitely what was it like uh, tr- going to a new state going to a new school pursuing a degree master's and phd you know, where did you know upfront that you would be the first if you succeeded? So that's the crazy part. So the answer, like the first part of the question, like just going to Michigan just seems so foreign. Like I did not want to go, although I didn't even know anything about Michigan. I had no idea even what time zone they were in. Like I had, I had no idea what happened there, but um, going there was a huge change because, you know, I grew up in the DC, Maryland area, familiar with Baltimore. And I get to this state where it's a college town and UMBC was not a college town. So, you know, I wasn't sure what, you know, it was just, it looked like something from TV and it was just completely different. Like people there, like, you know, DC has the go-go culture and just, we have monuments, we have lots of things. Like there's so much stuff that I grew up and was accustomed to that I did not see there. And it was different, but I knew I wanted to see a different style of life. I really like to see how other people live a lot. So, you know, I looked at it and said, man, this is a, this is different. I would, you know, and then when I got there, I saw that folks were, you know, supportive of each other and everything like that. So decided to go ultimately, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely a huge, huge change for me. And I didn't know I would be the first until I believe my second semester, because I was, uh, my first semester was terrible. I was still getting used to, you know, just how they, you know, just even how to take a test in graduate school, at what level you're expected to understand the information and things like that. So I, I kind of struggled my first semester. But then my second semester, um, I went to the person who was like the student, um, I guess, liaison. I don't know something? what you call it. Yeah, he was like supposed to be like the liaison between the students and the faculty and just to help you get your life together if you struggle. And I asked him, hey, I'm having a tough time here. Have there ever been any black women that have come through here? And he had been in the department at least like 25 years. And he's like, I haven't come across any. So he's like, actually, I've never even like taught a black student before. And you can tell the whole conversation made him very nervous like on the graduate level. He meant. 
So I was like, whoa, this is this is crazy. And so then I went and asked the um, the person that was in the graduate. Uh, she was like, you know, the grad student uh, secretary lady. She asked her and I was like, oh, uh, grad student coordinator, what have is she been there 20 years? I was like, have there been any people that look like me <laughs> in the program? And she was like, not that I can recall. So then uh, one of the uh, ministers at my church, she actually worked in the graduate school. And I asked her and she knew someone in the records department and they found out and they told me, I still have the email. They said, if you finish, you will be the first. And I just had a problem with that word, if. I was like, no, 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 when, when I finish, I'm gonna be the first. So at that point, I decided that whatever thing I was struggling through, that I could get over it, I could get through it, so I could be the first one, so we could make sure there was some more coming after me. I didn't wanna get this far, you know, farther than anyone had gotten before and still not get the degree. Like at that point, it was a mandate. I had to. I mean, to say if is not very supportive. I mean, and I don't think they meant it maliciously. I mean, oh, yeah, not at all. Right. But- PhD programs. So and, and you said that yourself, graduate school is tough. Would you say that it's a different level from college? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I think college, you are tested on your ability to receive information, do some mild synthesis of it, but pretty much applying it and then just repeating back what you heard or some random variation of what you heard. With college, I mean, sorry, with grad school, it's more so, okay, I taught you all of this. Now apply it to this problem you've never seen before. It's a lot more comprehensive. You're expected to know the material really, really in depth. That's why usually, you know, the course load is about nine credits because you can only spend about, you know, three courses worth of time really getting in depth with things where in undergrad, you could take five or six courses at the same time and do pretty well with grad school, you know, three is normal, you know, in CS. The intensity level, right? Yeah, it was intense. Like it was just, it, it was, I had, I've never had an exam until grad school where I was writing the entire time, like writing the whole time and just barely finishing the exam, like having 30 seconds before it was time to leave. Like there's no time to think. You're just writing, 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 writing. Like I was not used to that level of exam. I was used to, you know, having an exam. It's moderately tough, but I could still leave before everybody else. So that was definitely brand new to me. PhD programs are hard enough because of the the stress you put upon yourself, but I can't imagine, did you put stress upon yourself for being the first and, and, you know, with what they said with if, and you saying, no, it's going to be a when, did you feel extra or added pressure? Definitely. That was definitely extra pressure that I'm pretty sure I put on myself. But um, yeah, I definitely put that pressure on myself, you know, because I have friends, you know, and I tell them, hey, you know, guess what I found out. So whenever we went somewhere, or we met someone new, they'd be like, hey, guess what? Kyla is a notable. Do you know? You know, and they start saying, I'm like, Ooh, I really got to finish now because if I don't, then, you know, make my friend a liar. So it was that. And then when I came in, there weren't any other black women in the program and all the minorities that came in the same year as me, there was me and a, and a black male and then a Latina male, Latino, uh, sorry, Latina female, Latino male. And I was like, okay, we are the diversity. And I feel like they got one of each and I'm the only one who stuck for the PhD because I felt like, all right, they're looking at us. This is the diversity. If we don't do well, they're not going to you know, accept anybody else in the program. So whether or not that's true, I kind of took that on as like my personal goal to say, no, you need to have more black women in the program and I'm going to show you why and I'm going to get through this thing and complete it. 
And you did. You completed yeah. it. I mean, amazingly. And things seem to have only gone up because now you're a professor at Florida. Congratulations. Thank you. You have your own home there. You've been there now, what, two years? Yeah, two complete years. Yep. A, a full-time professor there and a keynote speaker this year. So you've been really growing in computer science and, and increasing, I guess, it, doing the research to kind of expand science and, and the things that we're doing. Have you, as a first person and first woman in that field for Michigan, have you noticed a difference in Florida? Is that something like statewide there's there's different things or this is a national thing? Yeah, this is definitely a national problem. It's so crazy, actually. Florida, well, I'll get into that part later, but it's definitely a nationwide problem. The numbers haven't gotten any better. At Michigan, the numbers are at Florida different, but for a different reason. So um, we came as part of, I came to Florida part of a cluster hire from Clemson. And my chair, who was also um, the chair at Clemson, he has about 20 black PhD students in his lab. In the nation, there is about 200. So he has 10% of all the black PhD students in the nation, right in his lab at Florida. So That's, the number is crazy. It's absolutely crazy, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just like astounded by this number. Yeah, it, it's crazy. And he, um, and but before that, Florida had one. Hey, Christian. <laughs> and, you know, they had one before that. But uh, just looking at what we brought, the numbers are really good. But before we got there, they were very similar to Michigan, where um, there had not been many in the program, like one or two. And there's, you know, lots of isolation where you can have people who are really competent and, you know, they're really good individually. You know, they're really technically strong, but they're they feel isolated in their environments and they may not persist. So, yeah, it's definitely a problem nationally. And so do you feel that there's uh, something you need to do about that? Yeah, that's that's the hard part. So I definitely, you know, every time I come across like young people who are interested in computer science, just in general, like I always try, especially minorities, like I get to know them a little bit more just to, because I know the barriers that they have to face. I know the representation issues that they may have. I know the challenges. So I try to make sure I know their names, that I let them know, hey, here, my door is open. I know this is, these are my office hours, but come by and see me, you know, whenever you want to talk. But I only have limited reach. You know, I'm only one person and I'm only reaching people who are in this limited environment. So to me, I definitely, you know, I'm trying to do this. We actually started um, the National Society of Blacks in Computing um, and we had our first conference this past June. And that was a time where it was, you know, we were able to fly in lots of young African-American computer scientists at all stages of the game. So in uh, college, in grad school, and people who were, you know, finishing up, we also had faculty there. So this was a point where we were able to be those mentors that they may not see on their own campuses. We had a chance to like, just really get one-on-one face-to-face time and let them know, hey, there are people that look like you who have done this. Give me a call if you have some problems, you know, all that kind of stuff. So yes, definitely. I, I feel like that is one of the objectives, one of the things that I'm tasked with doing. So yeah, that's one way I've been doing it. I mean, another way you've been doing it is uh, you've recently published a few articles that have caught the eye of the nation. That's right. So yeah, the representation thing. So those are like my rebel projects. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you call them rebel projects, but you know, I, I know that 
a lot of attention was brought to your first article, which was um, Sexy Black Female Scientists, mm-hmm. right? In 2014, Kyla wrote a article, and it was just on your website, right? And it just got picked up? Yep, it was just on my personal website. I should have monetized it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, because I, I believe if you go to her website and you go to the article, and the links will be in the show notes, there was some crazy number of shares. Oh, it's ridiculous. It was a crazy number. But yeah, that was, see, I don't even count that. That was one of those things that if I did not do it, it would not sit well with me. Like, I don't even count that as like a job. Like, that's something I had to do. But let me, let me bring it for the people who are listening, because you probably can't read the article at the moment. And if you're driving, please don't. So, <laughs> right. So Kyla did an article, Sexy Black Female Scientist, where she highlighted and um, did a spotlight, essentially, on 73 African-American female scientists. How long did it take you to put that together? Did you know 73? Do you want the real answer? No, yeah, let's give them the real answer. It really did not take that long. I believe, let's say maybe the first wave, I got maybe like 20 people within the first week. And then I started like saying, hey, tell your friends, tell your mama, you know, tell all these people. So the second wave, but I say all in all, maybe a month to put together. And it was in response to, um, I think it's Business Insider. They're an online, you know, publication and they put together some article and it was, you know, forwarded to me and it was called uh, just sexy, sexy scientists or something or the 10, 50 sexiest scientists or something like that. And I was just flipping through just to see, hey, is there anybody I know in here? And I actually did, you know, Isaac King Day. Hey, Isaac, one of my cohort members, Meyer Hoff as well. Go 13th. Anyway, I was flipping through, saw him and then I got to the end and I was like, wait a second. I did not see not one black woman in here. You know, I didn't out of 50 people. That they chose to be sexy scientists. There was not one black woman. I'm thinking, okay, if I'm like, you know, 10, 11, 12 year old black girl who's at that critical point to make a decision whether or not I want to be a scientist, looking through here is going to just tell me, okay, clearly I either have to stop being sexy or people who look like me are not scientists. So, you know, you don't want to have that myth that, oh, you have to be, you know, frumpy, dopey, whatever to be a scientist. So I was like, man, I just said to myself, I bet I know. 50 black female scientists and I could fill this whole article myself. And then I said, you know what? I should do that. So then I just made like a little Google form and have people submit their information. And, you know, and it just, I wrote, of course I wrote some code to generate the, uh, <laughs> generate the <laughs> script to make all the, the webpage code. And it, it came live. And it's, and it's great guys. Amazing highlights. Some people you will recognize from the show, some who maybe future guests, hopefully on the show, uh, down the road. And Kyla was, didn't stop there. She went ahead and put together a related article for guys. And that was entitled Brilliant is the New Black. And mm-hmm. you actually got more than you did from your first run. You had 105 yeah. African-American males. Yeah, like they, it had so much popularity. So many guys were like, man, I wish you would make one for me. I wish what happened to the guys. I was like, all right. I'll make one for the guys, but if I do, you have to make sure, you know, all the people who were the, the loudest ones, I had to make sure, all right, tell your friends, tell folks. And I think it actually came from having 
two really good support networks. Like when I was at UMBC, I was in Meyerhoff and everybody is out doing amazing, wonderful things in the world with advanced degrees. Same thing with Michigan. I had an awesome support system, awesome network of friends. So everybody who's in that article, I either know them or know someone who knows them. So there's like a very small degree of separation between me. And actually, I've had a chance to meet some of the people from the article with that I didn't know. But, you know, we end up at the same conferences or, you know, just end up in the same city at the same time. And it just it was amazing. It's amazing. And those articles actually had a great response on both ends. I'm sure that you received some criticism for them. I'd be surprised if you didn't. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's always going to be a hater. So even just from the inception of it, I was actually at a women in STEM sort of conference and it was still an idea in my head. I think I had even started collecting like some bios and some, you know, just just to see like, okay, if I were to do this, how many people would I have? I was thinking it's going to be like 20, 25 max. You know, I was like, at least let me, you know, I'm going to try to pull and get the 50. But I was at a conference and it was something about representation. That was the question. And there was a panel and I stood up and I told told them, you know, the whole spiel, like, hey, Business Insider did this thing. I'm thinking of doing this. What do you guys think? And the panel was like, no, don't do it. You don't need to do that. Across the board? It's terrible. Well, there were, you know, how it's always good cop, bad cop. So the first one was like terrible cop. And then the second lady tried to like clean it up. Like, well, you know, you shouldn't have to do that. Like she tried to smooth over the no, but it was still a no. You should not do that. And so I have a rebellious nature. No. to get me to do something is to tell me not to. So I immediately, and I, I kid you not, I sat down, opened my computer and just started writing the script code to start to generate stuff. I was like, oh, we going to do this. I started renaming five. <laughs> like, oh, we're, we're going to do this. We, we, we have to do it now because it just did not sit right with me. Like the advice did not sit right. And so then, you know, after the session, you know, I left and I was talking with some folks in the hallway and people came up to me like, don't listen to them. You should do it. You should do it. So I felt like I had some fellow rebellious folks that were like, no, you need to do this. So that gave me so much motivation. And I felt like, you know, it was met with criticism just in the beginning. And then after it was published, then you have people who were telling me, oh, well, you know, why do I got to be sexy? Black women are already, you know, already objectified. Why are you further objectifying black women? And number one, it was because the Business Insider article called it 50 Sexy Scientists. So if you want to talk about objectifying folks, start with the source, start with Business Insider, because they started objectifying scientists in general. But it was supposed to be a parallel to that so people could, you know, could draw the same Uh, the same conclusion. So anyways, that was one crazy response that I typically got from people. But, you know, I tend to not care what people think. (laughs) That uh, that is the rebellious nature (laughs) that you have. But I I mean, I'm I was proud to see that you did this, if only because, you know, it's it is a stereotype that scientists have right on the first on one hand. The other hand, you just provided a number of examples and role models and representation to people who weren't probably didn't even know that there were that many that could be put together in one place. Yeah. And it's crazy because folks are always saying, oh, we can never hire minority candidates because we don't know any. There aren't enough. Here you go. I got a link. What field do you want? (laughs) You know, call somebody. So I've even been contacted by department chairs 
who are saying, hey, can you please send out this faculty, you know, announcement, this job announcement to your network because we're looking for diverse candidates. You know, I've had this happen more than one time. And then I've had people who were on both the male and female list telling me that they've gotten opportunities just from people seeing them on this list and having their specific sub areas and research interests listed. They were easily accessible and, you know, have gotten job offers and interviews and things like that. So there was definitely a need for this because, I mean, everybody, you know, the people in your circle. And if you want to hire a diverse candidate or someone, who comes from a, you know, from a diverse background, you may not know any. So this is like a one-stop shop for folks who can, who mean well, but just may not know anyone who comes from a different background. And see, the interesting thing is you talk about the positivity of the article and what effects it has had, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm impressed and proud of you because some things that people listening may not understand is when you're in a job or a position whether in in a field, right? Sometimes your actions in your personal life or outside or networking or whatever can have blowback on you professionally. And did you ever receive any of that? I mean, the potential was there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The potential is definitely there. So I had a a consult for a company in town and the CEO, we were heading somewhere and he just, you know, offhandedly was like, oh, you know, when you should check this out. Whenever I put your name into Google, the first thing that comes up is a sexy scientist thing. You should have that person take your name down. You know, I was like, oh, wait, really? That. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, oh, you know, did you did you know that? And I was like, yeah, actually, that was me. And this is the reason why I did it. So I made it so that the title of the article is not sexy. So when it comes up in the Google search, it just says uh, I turned it into brilliant black and brainy. So it still has the name uh, sexy black female scientist on the page, but the search results will say brilliant black and brainy. So that was a compromise that I could live with for myself. And then there are people who said, you know, I'd love to share this with my class of fourth graders, but I don't want to include the word sexy. So I made a whole nother link that, uh, you know, on the page that says, here's, you know, the PG, you know, school slash church slash work safe version of this article just with the word sexy taken out. And, you know, that's how I've sort of combated that one. It's the exact same article, just with those words out. And for, see, for you to take the chance of having blowback of, you know, whatever professionally, you know, could have happened to you and still come out on the bright side of things. But the fact that you took that risk is very um, brave of you, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, who knows? I have no idea like what opportunities could have, you know, that's the thing. I feel like if you're true to yourself, like at the end of the day, I would not have been able to live with myself if I had not made it. So if that makes some people uncomfortable, then that's probably not the job or opportunity I needed to have. So I think of it from that perspective, because you come into your job as a whole person. So if people can't accept some part of you, there's going to be a clash at some point. So if I'm already authentic, you know, from the get go, you know what you're getting, then you know, it makes an even better situation. That that was that was like one of those sound bites that I wish I was like, all right, if I did sound bites, that would be right there. <laughs> you you are your whole self. I mean, it's true, but it's very hard. It's very hard to in a work environment. I mean, you 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 experience it daily. It's hard to it's easy to say. It's very hard to do or accept. Yeah. 
It definitely is. And even with the guys, uh, with that article, I struggled with, okay, do I name this one sexy black male scientist? And so some of them were for it. Some of them were against it. So I just decided to, you know, just give them a, a neutral name because we were no longer trying to disprove this uh, business insider thing. But yeah, you have to just know your, you have to know your folks. You have to decide what you're comfortable with and what you feel comfortable defending. Now, and that actually brings me to your talk at OzCon, right, where you discussed how you got to where you are, the tale of a CS professor. Yep. <laughs> and, and you talked about some points that people should know or be aware of, some takeaways from it. Can you talk a little bit about what those are for someone who may be thinking about going into computer science for a PhD yep. or someone on the other side who is looking to hire someone? Oh, yeah, I can definitely do that. So for OzCon, for those of you guys that don't know, that's the open source conference. So it's like a computing conference and they have different keynote speakers to talk about different areas of computing. So I had like these these messages that everyone should these, I guess, tips that people should follow to make sure that we empower everyone to pursue computing. So the first one is be nice to newbies. Uh, computer science kind of can be snobbish to me, especially to people who are learning. Like, let's say if you go on Stack Overflow or you have any sort of question that you ask in a forum, if it seems to be elementary or rudimentary, people might meet you with some kind of rude answer. So first thing was just be nice to people who are trying to learn because you can be very turned off to stuff. So there's a website called firsttimersonly.com and it's for people who are new to coding and but they do want to contribute to open source. So it's like a very, you know, just hospitable environment for them to make their first pull request make their first contribution without people acting crazy. So that was the first one. Uh, the other one was uh, wear your differences with pride. I feel like oftentimes like when you get a job and you're in the workplace, people feel like they can't be different. They can't be themselves. And I feel like you should embrace your difference. Everybody is different along some lines, whether or not it's culture, race, class, education, ability, age, gender, like we're all different people. So we need to embrace that. And, you know, that's how work becomes stressful when you feel like you have to live inside of a box that's not your true self every single day. And by the time you leave work, you're like, whew, glad to get out that box. What if you just walked around all day, just your true self and not inside of a box? Like how freeing would that be? So where your differences would cry, don't feel like you have to, you know, just cover up who you authentically are every single day. The third one is find your tribe. So oftentimes I think we spend a lot of time trying to get people who we think should like us, to like us, and often neglect the people who have always been in your corner. So find those people. You know the people who support you. So find those people. Those, that is your tribe. So whenever you find those people, you don't have to fit the mold to belong. So, you know, make sure that that's who you are getting all of your inspiration from and you're spending most of your time with. So you can have all those positive vibes. Also to people who are in computing, who are very, you know, like seasoned veterans, you should mentor somebody who doesn't look like you. So mentor someone who doesn't fit the mold so that it seems like to be a more inclusive environment. You're only going to produce more people who look like you if you only reach out to people who look like you. So um, that's another way to foster inclusion. So those are the four, uh, the four tips that I gave. And great tips, not just in computer science, guys, but in, I mean, first timers website probably won't work for you guys, but it, it's, yeah. it's, those are great tips for just in general to help work with inclusion and diversity and kind of 
expanding your comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I mean, these are things I just think to be true in life in general, not just computing. Like these are things you can take to the bank in every aspect of your life. And they are. I'll co-sign that. I'm pretty sure a lot of people on the listening to this are going to co-sign that as well because <laughs> it's true. But those are things that got you to where you are today, right? Those are guides and things that you're also sharing. Is there anything that you are looking forward to doing coming up? Anything I'm looking forward to doing on the research aspect, on the personal aspect? Both? Well, let's say just for your dreams, something that you 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 reach PhD, you're teaching. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else on the bucket list that you kind of want to do? Man, so I've been writing lots of NSF proposals. So What is NSF? Oh, sorry. NSF is the National Science Foundation. They are like Bank of America for a scientist <laughs> account holders. <laughs> you know, I don't think I've ever heard of it described that way. It's so accurate. But yeah, like, but it, imagine if every time you wanted to withdraw money, you had to write a letter and every letter had to be read by all the tellers who sometimes know about writing, sometimes don't, and can pick anything about your letter that you have written. And let's say it took you about a month to write that letter. So <laughs> all of that to say, I've proposed and I'm in the process of proposing some really cool projects to NSF. And honestly, I'm a nerd. I'm looking forward to a lot of those projects. We have a couple things with a visually impaired scientists, enabling them to hear and like proteins and be able to represent proteins as sound, manipulate data with databases, be able to, we have another system where we're enabling visually impaired people to walk around a room and hear the actual locations of objects in the room so they can steer around them. So we have lots of cool technology that we're making. Oh yeah, BCI, I have a project going on now where we're using BCI's brain controlled interface and you can literally put a device on your head and the brain waves that you emit can control something. So we're helping people to make music using their brain so we're doing some cool stuff in my life. Kyla, Kyla, Kyla. Yeah. Let me ask you, when you went into this, PhD, Florida, what you're doing now, did you know all of these things? Oh, like, not at all. These pro- <laughs> like, how do you, I, I, I'm, I'm afraid that people listening are like, well, I, I don't know any of that stuff. I would never come up with that. Was it easy to come up with these future projects, the ones you're proposing? And do you know if they'll work automatically? Are they are they dead lock-ins for you? You know, the work is so is there are things that I was introduced to within the last like most of the stuff are is so the VCI stuff, brain computer interface, that stuff I was introduced to in maybe the last two to three years. So that was brand new. My PhD was in the 3D audio, you know, arena, but these are all things that were new to me. I didn't come out the gates like, I know exactly what I want to do. This is what I'm gonna do. These our thoughts that have had lots of iterations, lots of sending off and then people in the field saying, oh, that's stupid. Do something else. <laughs> but uh, yeah, these are don't think of this as something that's unattainable. Everybody didn't know something at some point. So um, with this, with these projects, these are things that, you know, I've learned and iterated over for the past maybe I'd say three to four years. And it just kind of grew, right? I mean, it's, it, it was experience. Yeah, it grew. It's experience. Like, for example, uh, with 3D audio, which is a way to make sounds sound like they're coming from an actual location space around you. Once I learned how to actually create it and use the technology to do it, I started thinking of my own use cases. Like you start thinking, okay, well, now the sky's the limit. So now that I know this random, you know, way to make sounds sound like they're coming from somewhere else. 
what can I do with this? And my mind immediately went to visually impaired. If I could not see, sounds could be my eyes. Like that was literally the first thing I thought of. And um, when I was doing my PhD, I didn't have time for that project. But, you know, my advisor was like, write that down as something to do once you're done with your PhD. And I had this little notebook of ideas of cool thoughts that I thought, oh, this it would be cool if we could blank. And this is, you know, literally me going down my list of what I thought it would be cool to do. I wanted her to talk about that, guys, because I, I don't want you to think, man, I don't have those ideas. She didn't either. Nope. I'm not a genius, guys. I'm not the smartest person on the planet. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and, and co-sign that, despite the fact that she has a PhD. Like and gave... I'm not a genius? Like, what? <laughs> but I, I mean, I'm a friend. I could say this. I'm with you. Right? Yeah. I, could say, I could say it with love and not get in trouble. But yeah. I was not the valedictorian, salutatorian, all the Torians, you know, I was not that person. I will say what she is, though. She is a hard worker and she does have uh, dedication, perseverance, and she's a great friend. And so you guys could be that, too. Yep, I'm telling you, you can do it. Like, I would say 100 times out of 100, perseverance beats smarts. I've seen people on the PhD program who the first, you know, they've been geniuses since birth, never had a challenge, get their first challenge, pursuing their PhD, drop out the program because they cannot handle it. So it's definitely perseverance. You have to be smart, you know, but you don't have to have above average, you know, intelligence. You just have to be willing to work hard at something harder than your peers will, even harder to the point where most people would have given up. Like, it's just like running a race. I took up running while I was in grad school and I didn't realize it then, but it was definitely a metaphor for what I was going through because I was slow. <laughs> so that was one thing. And it was about persisting to the end. It wasn't about being the fastest person out there. It was about persisting to the end. And that's exactly what I did in grad school. You know, it, I'm going to ask this question, but I have a feeling you just said it, but let's see if it's different. So the last thing I usually ask a guest is what is something you would recommend to someone chasing their dream? Man, so someone chasing their dream, what I recommend, this is something that I heard actually in church on Sunday, which I've known, but I had never put it that way. So I would say, and it kind of goes along with the running metaphor, that you should not measure your own success based on someone else's. We all have our own lanes in life, and what looks like success for you is not going to be what looks like success for another person. So uh, yeah, don't compare yourself to other people, because you are here for a very specific purpose, to be a very unique person, and not to be this other person. So if you're trying to too busy to, if you're too busy trying to be someone else, you're not going to contribute what you have to uniquely contribute to society. And there you have it. And usually, I, you know what, I, I never say much afterwards anyway, do I? So, Kyla, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story. I'm so proud of the things you are doing, uh, what you've done, and just the trailblazer that you are. And hopefully, we will see many, many more big things from you in the future. Sounds like a plan. And Dream Chasers, that was Dr. Kyla McMullen amazing person. She's done some amazing things. She's worked hard for it. She's earned it. And keep an eye on her. She's doing some great things in science and research that will change the way we listen and hear audio. And so definitely, definitely pay attention and listen to what she said. Perseverance is key. It's huge. And something else that uh, I wanted to share and kind of point out in case you weren't aware of it, there is a movie coming out called Hidden Figures. It comes out end of the year, beginning of January 2017, and it's the story about 
the African-American mathematician Katherine Johnson and her two colleagues, Dorothy Vaughn and Mary Jackson, who helped catch up in the space race. And it's a retelling. It's a true story. And it is amazing. And I can't wait to see it because, you know, uh, that's that's motivation. That's perseverance. And they we wouldn't be where we are today in space technology, sciences, math without them. And so definitely check that out. You guys go and do your own dream chase, persevere, focus, and you too can find yourself doing the things you want to do like Kyla is today. So check out the show notes page where all the links mentioned today are, and you can find that at chasingdreamshq.com slash episode 64. That's episode 64. Until next time, guys, keep chasing. Thank you so much for listening to Chasing Dreams. Amy would love to connect with you and hear all about your pursuit of chasing your dreams. Connect with her on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram via at Chasing Dreams HQ. Or you can find Amy on Twitter at AmyJ21. That's A-I-M-E-E-J-2-1. Be sure to visit headquarters over at ChasingDreamsHQ.com for more inspiration, motivation, and resources to help with your own dream chase. We hope you'll join Amy next week. And until then, keep chasing. Keep chasing.